Hi, my name is Yasmeen Tarehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Today's episode is about understanding men and women with relationship expert, Alison Armstrong. Alison Armstrong is a behavioral philosopher. Her exploration of human behavior began in 1991 with her decision to study men, to find out how she was, quote, bringing out the worst in them and hopefully how to bring out the best, end quote. Her success in understanding men naturally led to studying women's behavior as well and making connections between the two. Alison's also the author of many books, many of which I've read, and courses, some of which I've taken, on the subject of understanding both men and women. She's incredible, she's highly referenced and very sought after, and I'm so incredibly excited to have her on the show today. (laughs) So welcome, Allison. Thank you, I'm glad to be here. So Allison, I wanted to just dive right in and talk about how, when you say ending the war between the sexes, can you tell us what you mean by that? Um, What do you mean by the war between the sexes? (laughs) <laughs> well, um, gosh, I wish it, wish it wasn't so, um, and I thought I'd be better by now. Uh, well, if you think about, um, I didn't coin that term, the war, the war between the sexes. That showed up in the 60s and the 70s, and uh, but mostly people assume the opposite. People talk about, I'm looking for a partner my partner, uh, we're partners, aren't we? And honestly, that is not what I observe in the way that most couples behave. Uh, One of the definitions of partner is on the same side or team. And we we act more like adversaries with temporary or intermittent alliances <laughs> we, we get together because we have a common enemy um but if there isn't if there isn't that and even when there is like a crisis uh we're often still adversaries we're not on the same team and we have opposing instincts so it's not personal that we're not on the same team we we naturally bring out the worst in each other. We naturally, in seeking our own safety and sense of being seen and respected and trusted and loved, the way that men and women go about getting that brings out the worst in the opposite sex. So, Allison, can you tell us a little bit more about those instincts? You know, maybe you can provide some examples. Like, what do you mean exactly by the differences in instincts between men and women? Well, um, so if you just start with what an instinct is, right? An instinct's a biological response, which compels a particular kind of behavior. And that biological response, which we can feel it in our bodies, it's a surge of energy and um, emotion like fear or anger. Um, and it's triggered by the perception of a threat or an opportunity. And most people are surprised that it would be triggered by an opportunity, but opportunities are all about survival just as much as threats are including that we could 
we could waste energy on that opportunity. We could have misperceived the opportunity. It could not, it could be, a, you know, we could be faked out or um, we could prove inadequate to the opportunity, right? So not being enough, good enough, smart enough, fast enough, all of that shows up for both threats and opportunities. And, and then if you look at what kind of behavior it compels, um, you know, one of the things that's fun to notice about oneself is, is what is the, a particular, particular individual's routine? If you look at it from the point of view of fight and flight and freeze, what's your first reaction? Like my first reaction is fight. I'm a fight. <laughs> Right. And and then if the fight doesn't work, I freeze and I, I I have a mask on that makes it look like I'm just fine with everything that's going on. And I really care about you. But, but behind the mask, I'm trying to find a better way to fight. And if I my brain racing furiously can't come up with a better way to fight, it's trying to figure out how the heck to escape this. How do we flee? Right. And. You know, it's interesting to note, right? And my late husband, his his routine was freeze, flight, fight. And it it, you know, was 26 years into the relationship between before we knew that about each other. <laughs> and I would fight and he wouldn't fight back, right? <laughs> he would just stone face me and then disappear. And then by the time he was back to fight, right, I, <laughs> I was well past the fight, right? And so it just it's just a good thing to know and to share because that that energy can be felt. And if we can feel it, that's a moment of awareness um, where we can make a conscious choice. And um so if, so if you start with that premise, right, then one of the things you naturally pay attention to is if all of this is in perception of a threat and an opportunity, which is a threat as well, then you really see how much human behavior is about feeling safe or thinking we're safe. And that's one of the biggest differences, um, both in gender and in modes in between in gender so if we're women tend to pay more attention to feeling safe while men tend to pay more attention to they think they're safe so what they consider to be a fact which would be information from a trusted source has them think they're safe a woman is checking in with her feelings does she feel safe and she'll often look for information that helps her to feel safe, right? <laughs> um, and one of the biggest problems, you know, starting a year ago with COVID-19 was the difference in how men and women were reacting. And women didn't feel safe. And men were trying to convince them they were safe based on facts. There are more people who died, fill in the blank, you know, then from, you know, COVID-19, for example, would be one of the arguments. Um, so, but then it, if you add what I call the modes, which would be, are you in hunting mode or gathering mode? And this is like the difference between being a, a PC or a Mac, right? <laughs> like, it, 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 are, you, are you focused? Are you organized around a result? Are you committed? 
Is your consciousness screening out everything it considers irrelevant to what you've committed to? Um, Both men and women can be in that hunting mode and it affects our everything about our awareness, right? So it affects our perceptions, how we process information, uh, whether or not we're paying attention to our thoughts or our feelings, um, or is one of those getting screened out? Uh, How do we relate to speaking, to listening? um, And where does our safety lie, right? So if we're in if we're in hunting mode, we think we're safe when we're being a successful hunter, when we're producing results. So safety is all about productivity when we're in hunting mode. When we're in gathering mode, which is an open state of consciousness, it's the opposite of focused. It's not committed. It's open to options and possibilities, alternatives. We feel safe in gathering mode when we experience being connected. So very much um, one way to think about it is the difference between herd and pack. That we're in hunting mode, we operate like a pack of, of wolves. And when we're in gathering mode, we act like a herd of horses. And so our connection to each other is um, the most important thing. Animals, when they're afraid and they emit pheromones, and like amongst a herd of horses, uh, they can smell their relatives. <laughs> they, Yes, yes, they smell and are attracted to seek out, hang out with the ones who you smell like me. Um, and so, so you know, you bring this now to human beings. If you can imagine how many times a day someone in gathering mode, often a woman, uh, isn't doesn't feel safe, and her impulse is to reach out and connect. So. Um, she might text, she might call, she might go into the other room, right, to, in order to connect with somebody. But the person she's trying to connect with might be, it often is, in hunting mode. And so they're focused on being productive. And that person's attempt to connect is actually an interruption and diminishes, diminishes their ability to be productive. So they get irritated that that interruption is a threat and they can react just by acting a little irritated looking at you funny trying to ignore like just actually their brain doesn't even pick up on it it's irrelevant and so the person feels ignored which has them feel more disconnected and then they're even less safe and more upset and will probably get louder and they're more persistent. <laughs> and so then the interruption in the productivity is bigger. And then the person is, instead of unconsciously ignoring them, um, they're actually going, leave me alone. Wow. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yes, how many times does this happen? Or, or somebody sends a text in order to connect, or someone sends a text in order to get information in order to be productive. And we have this new expectation about texts, right? How quickly people are supposed to respond. And if you cared about me, you would. And and then we have people who leave their phone behind so they're not interrupted, so they can be productive. And <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Allison, 
I, my mind is blown with this, um, perspective. Um, can I double click on this piece between the hunters and gatherers and just ask what? <laughs> double click. That's so funny. There, there's an expression right out of, out of modern life. Yes. You can, you can ask me. Okay. Uh, so the hunters and gatherers, so men or women can be in either state, but is the, um, are men tra- like more prone to being in the hunter uh, state than women? Like what have you seen? And especially across cultures, if you have that data, cause I think it'd be interesting to see how that perspective might shift from maybe, you know, the West to the East, um, South versus North in the United States. You know, what is, what have you seen from a hunter and gatherer perspective with gender? Or is that not even important? Because I imagine just knowing where people are at, whether they're in a hunter mode to just become productive or get the answer to something versus folks who are reaching out to connect. It's so funny, you know, that you say that because I find that during the work day, I am so focused on being productive that when someone tries to connect with me, when I'm trying to be productive, I I have no space for it. (laughs) But then (laughs) the opposite is true later in the day where I'm like, wow, I just, I do want to connect with family and friends. And then when someone tries to ask me a work question, I I shut down. So, so that's really fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. Don't pull me into that head now. Um, Yeah. I, uh, I'm the same way about my weekends or time off. That's when I reach out to connect with my friends and family. And during the work week, uh, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't have time for that. So, um, I don't, I'm not the kind of researcher that collects data. I would rather draw distinctions and allow people to apply it to their lives and their situations. And then they have all the data they need is whether it fits for you or not. I got it. Who cares if it fits for other people? Does it, does it illuminate something for you? And I used to refer to it as hunters and gatherers, like in our understanding women course, we talk about hunters and gatherers, but then I realized how, detrimental it is to objectify ourselves or others period right so we're, we're just so much more fluid than that and every awareness allows for another choice so to treat ourselves like nouns it is a it's just a mistake right so I try to discipline myself, hunting mode, right? Hunting mode, gathering mode. There are more ways of being and they're fluid. And so much of what's happening in first world cultures that most men are in hunting mode most of the time and most women are in hunting mode most of the time. So our conflicts have to do with people with competing or conflicting goals, intentions, destinations, and arguments about whose plan is going to get implemented. Because when we're committed, we have have plans. And men, um, as they get older, so men are in gathering mode when they don't have a result to produce, when they're at play. And they're, they're charming in that state. And we fall in love with them in that state. But we think they're hot when they're being really productive. <laughs> and and we get confused because they're really charming and we feel really connected. And then 
we feel ignored and disconnected because we don't know what happened, right? And the same thing with men. For men, women are just a confusing, moving target. They have no idea why we are the way we are when we're that way and how did we change so fast. And a lot of what understanding women is about is seeing the two different modes and how, why a woman is so different, how, like how she feels supported in gathering mode is completely different than how she feels supported in hunting mode. And, and so one of the biggest things that I like to teach men is what are the signs because they're so visual, you know, look, look for the signs, which modes she's in, and then you can be effective by responding appropriately. And, um, it's pretty cute. I mean, just the way we walk differently when we're in hunting mode or gathering mode. We're very linear in hunting mode. We 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 cross a room in a straight line. Our hips are moving, you know, and when we're in gathering mode, our hips sway. We we literally waste energy. We we I go side to side, and we're all curvy, and we and we. You know, we detour to straighten a pillow. And um, we're, I mean, we're very, very different depending on what mode we're in. And one of the things that women don't know about themselves is that it has everything to do with time. And that we could be in gathering mode and open and connective and celebratory and loving and compassionate. And then someone says, we got to go in three minutes. And we just, all that disappears. And we could, I mean, we get short-tempered and rude. (laughs) (laughs) And we might be putting makeup on, but we're really just coloring our face to get the heck out the door. We're not, we're not creating beauty. We're not celebrating anything. We're, so... So a big thing going on is how much time everybody's spending in hunting mode. And and that if we can, and this is one of the things that I love about, well, I try to distinguish between the coronavirus and COVID-19, the reaction to the coronavirus, but a lot of people's lives are slowing down and women are finding themselves less productive and more connected and more nurturing and more seeking fulfillment instead of results. And, and that's, that's interesting. And there's a lot of possibility in it, but I'm all about freedom. So I'm all about choosing, right? You want to be in hunting mode and kick ass and take some names, do it. But how much of it do you want to do? How many days a week do you want to do it? I, you know, I work like a fiend three and a half days a week. <laughs> and then you'll find me hanging out, <laughs> dreaming, puttering around, you know, long conversations with my boyfriend that start one way place and end up someplace else and I don't keep it on track. And you know, all, just all these things that are really, mm. really cool. And really and- yeah, that's so interesting, Allison. Um, I was just sort of thinking about how that dynamic plays out in a household with two predominant hunters and 
perhaps like the level of conflict that could arise um, because there is no room to gather, um, to, you know, to connect. And probably like a lot of people who have faced difficulties might have, you know, two gatherers or two hunters. I think there's probably complexities and difficulties with both scenarios, right? Like having one hunter, one get one gatherer or two hunters. I think it's, it's an interesting, you know, dynamic that needs to be reconciled. Um, so super fascinating. I was wondering if we can actually talk a little bit about, this was really revolutionary to me. And I, a lot of my girlfriends, um, have, you know, mentioned this, the frog eater. So I read the queen's code. (laughs) The frog eating me, the frog farmer. Frog farmer. Oh, is that what it's called? Okay. It's been a while since I read the book. Um, froggy. I actually like frog eater, but frog farmer, that's the correct term. (laughs) A frog farmer is someone who turns princes into frogs instead of frogs into princes. I'm not really sure about frog eaters, but I think women, many women have become frog eaters. We, we, we think this, this guy is a frog. He has no possibility of being a, a prince. So we might as well just chew him up. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the um, yeah, it's just an interesting thing that I've seen play out in culture. And I, the point that you made that like really blew my mind was that women need to assert themselves in a way to um, you you can say this way better than I can, but I'm just going to introduce it to basically reduce the sort of level of physical differences between the sexes like we inherently feel a little bit more fearful towards men and so because of our physical differences we end up um maybe provoking them or pushing them into a space that um makes them feel uh less than male and weaker maybe um but i i love for you to talk about this point because i thought it was so revolutionary and I think also what's been playing out in culture several years ago with the Me Too movement is that we've seen people also maybe over-index towards, you know, um, not balancing the sexes, but overcompensating. You know, it's it's like we're moving the power from one polarity to the next polarity. And I just think it's a fascinating moment in culture for us to address this. Uh, this, this first of all, like the concept of the frog farmer and um, and what that means in relationship between men and women. <laughs> so you just wanted a light topic. <laughs> Frog eating and hashtag me too. Just just a couple light topics. Sure, why not? Um, oh boy. So you said women feeling a little bit weaker uh, than men. Um, uh no. Um, men are not afraid of women at all, physically. There's nothing fearful about women. And women instinctively are pretty much uh, on guard all the time for being hurt physically by a man. Um, it's what has us react to a raised voice. We think a raised voice precedes a raised hand. Uh, just, I mean, we'll, we'll just, we'll cringe, we'll flinch, we'll tense, tense up incredibly um, when a man raises his voice. And to a man, a raised voice means nothing, mm. he, nothing at all. Um, 
yeah, so somebody's yelling, who cares? Um, where all the women are tensed up and going into fight, fight, or freeze. Um, the sample that we have on our website from our Understanding Women course demonstrates this in a way that's that's unavoidable. You, you just can't miss the difference. Um, so I encourage everybody to do that. It's it's free. It's right there on the homepage. Um, takes about a half an hour to get the fun, biggest, most important fundamental difference between men and women. And that's how much we pay attention to physical safety, um, which men hardly pay attention to physical safety at all. Most of them can't remember the last time they worried about it, which also has been a factor with COVID-19 that the only men who are very aware of being frail have ever been afraid of the virus. Um, and so the biggest arguments have been between women who are afraid of the virus and men who've been afraid of the effect on their productivity and their ability to provide for themselves and their families. So it's been all about jobs in the economy um, versus health and protecting the weak. So um, it's huge. This physical thing is huge. And, and I actually have coached men on the opposite side because men know how attracted women are to bigger men and um, because he's potentially a better protector, right, instinctually. Um, But he's also going to be watched even more closely. Are you a protector or an attacker, a protector and an attacker, like moment by moment? And depending on what she perceives is how she'll interact with him. And um, so much so, it's probably always been this way instinctually, but culturally men are viewed and have been for a long time now. It just got really heated up with hashtag me too. They're viewed as as attackers. They're viewed they're not viewed as protectors. They're viewed as people who will manipulate, take advantage, strategize, coerce. Um, we could just go on and on. It's assumed what they will do to get what they need from women that it has no boundaries. And it's just not true. It's not how they're, it's not how they're put together. It's not how they're built. Um, Are there some bad people who will do whatever it takes to get what they need and they have no shame about it? Yes. Both bad men and bad women who have no, they have no honor. They have no shame. They think nothing of taking from others. Um, But it's not most people. Not 95% of people, they may do something that they're ashamed of to get what they need, but they're ashamed of it because they know it was wrong. Um, but people do things to get what they need all the time. People will do whatever it takes to get what they, what they really need. Um, I wish people do whatever it takes <laughs> to get what they really need after closely examining what do you really need <laughs> um, and then hold your boundary there like crazy. Um, so uh, hashtag me too. I did a, I did a program called Allison's five part response to hashtag me too um, because, because it's really not about sex. It's about, how human beings abuse power and what they abuse it for and what is required 
for that abuse to persist. Mm. And, and it really comes back to asking the question, you know, what's my part? What's my part of complicity? How do I allow the abuse of power to persist? How, where have I put up with it because of what I was getting out of it? Where have I turned, uh, turned my head and pretended not to see it? Um, where have I just been silent um, instead of speaking up that that's wrong um, for whatever reason? I mean, if you want to look at abuse of power, just look at how adults treat young people. Um, <laughs> we think their lives belong to us and that we get to tell them what they do every minute of every day. And we, we don't think that's an abuse of power, but we do it because we're bigger. We do it because we, we're in charge of the resources and we can control it and withhold it and grant it. And so, I mean, I could go on and on about this part, um, but it's if we can understand that to feel safe, to think we're safe, to protect what matters most to us is normal and that anytime we feel like we can't protect what's important to us or that someone's attacking what's important to us, you're going to get the worst out of human beings, whether they're male or female. Mm, wow. Um, yeah. Powerlessness, hopelessness uh, is going to bring out the worst. Wow. And yeah, and we attack men because we're afraid of them. We didn't, we, we, we really, since we don't trust their use of power, we don't want them to be empowered. Mm -hmm. And our, everything we do to disempower them is what has them defending themselves against us instead of protecting us and cherishing women, which is, which is natural for men to cherish women. So Allison, how do you, like, what's your kind of advice for women um, who have this frog farming problem? Do you have <laughs> any guidance? And, and I also, um, you know, leading right after this, I'd love to talk about the male stages of development. Cause I thought that really went hand in hand with uh, the frog farming conversation? Yeah, it does. Because one of the ways that we bring out the worst in men, right? So frog farming, turning princes into frogs, is by not supporting them and getting what they need. And so they're in a kind of starvation for what they need to fuel what they're focused on in their lives. And what they need changes with what they're focused on and um, by their stage of development. So they are related. And the first thing I would say is notice how much we think men deserve to be diminished. They deserve to be weakened. They shouldn't be empowered. That that would be a bad thing. Notice that um, and where that comes from. And does it, is it doing more harm than good? Um, we think it makes us feel safe, but if we're alienating all men, uh, then who's, who's, who's going to protect us against the bad guys, right? Mm. We're, 
the way one man put it was you can't tell the difference between <laughs> between uh, sheepdogs and wolves if all you're looking at is teeth. Wow. And cool. yeah, and who who can best tell the difference between a sheepdog and a wolf? A sheepdog. Um, they smell wolves at a glance. I mean, they'll be like, stay away from that guy. He's up to no good. And then we'll argue with him because we're going to bet on potential and he's really cute. So we're ignoring that he's giving us the creeps and he's really rich. So we're ignoring that he disrespects our needs all the time. Um, I mean, we, we, we betray ourselves before anybody else does. And so just, I mean, just notice how much, to the degree that we're alienating men, we feel like we have to protect ourselves all the time. Um, and that we have to band together as women to protect, be safe against these enemies. And what if they're not? What What if there's, <laughs> I mean, the evidence is they will lay down their lives for us again and again and again, and they don't even have to like us to do that. But most men have um, their their policy is within reach. They will protect anyone who's within reach. And um, because it's part of who they are. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with them. And, and it's a matter of honor as a man. And um, it's both conscious and, and instinctual. So notice how much time you spend trying to make yourself feel safe by weakening men. And what if that's actually counterproductive? And notice the men that you do feel safe around and that you're a different person and they're different and they seem like an exception. Um, you're probably not sexually attracted to them because when we have chemistry for a man, uh, it brings out the worst in us. <laughs> we yeah yeah we're yes yeah, I mean more, I, I say more about that Allison I'm <laughs> super interested <laughs> well so when we're when we're really attracted to a man whether we have physical chemistry or economic chemistry or how important is he in the world chemistry status chemistry <laughs> when we're all wound up about whatever form of strength he is uh, representing to us and our potential survival, we um, we're at our worst. So we contort ourselves to be pleasing and appealing, but it's like a boomerang. We can only do it so long, and then we blame them for how we betrayed ourselves. Oh wow! And yeah, instead of from the very beginning saying, no, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> or, hey, you just disregarded what I what I said I need. You, you don't get to do that and still be with me. We do not model. If we're really attracted to a man, we don't model how to treat us. And so the way that we want, we model how to treat us, and then they treat us that way, and we think it's because they're a jerk. Instead of we didn't give them another possibility. And um, <laughs> remember early on, my boyfriend and I were talking about, you know, that I was still grieving the loss of my husband and 
he's still grieving the loss of his family, even though the divorce was eight years ago. And, and, and he was really cute. He said, yep, that's all true. You're, you're grieving and I am grieving and we can't, we can't heal each other, but we can be there for each other while we're healing. And Hey, I met this really amazing woman who's very direct about what she needs. And that's hot. (laughs) (laughs) I love that statement so much, Allison. That's everything. I've I've also heard boundaries are sexy, which I love too. (laughs) And when men set boundaries, when men are too physically attracted, they stop setting boundaries and they, um, they betray themselves and they, they boast and exaggerate in order to attract just like, you know, they have their own version of, you know, push up bras and wonder bras. They have their, their wonder results there. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it's all, all this dance of very primitive dance of attraction where we're betraying our, our souls in the process. And, and it's a discipline. It's a discipline to be true to yourself. Um, whether you're single or married, it's a discipline to be true to yourself with your romantic interest and um, a victory to be celebrated every time that you manage to do it. And I, uh, we have a, a singles intensive and I, I coach a lot of singles. And, you know, what I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, instead of Instead of hiding what you need until they love you more and you're more attached to them, fly it early and often, show it early and often. And, and, you know, my attitude is if you're going to run, run now. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) So all the things that might have somebody reject me, they're going to know about in the first few hours. They're going (laughs) to, I love that. Wow. So, and Allison, are you also saying that maybe people who are very attracted or have very strong chemistry with a certain type of person, like that should be kind of a warning flag for your own, maybe Um, (laughs) self-respect? Well, in sync with opposite sex, um, which I created years ago to transform dating, um, uh, you know, I've said, you know, like anything, anything above a seven, just run because <laughs> in the opposite direction, because you will sell your soul. Wow. And, um, and I, you know, in making sense of men, I encourage women, uh, to use what I call the Adam Sandler effect, um, which, you know, I discovered because of, watching Adam Sandler in a movie and thinking, who is this doofus and <laughs> whose idea was to cast him as a leading man um, and the wedding singer. And then as the movie went on, I'm like, kiss him, kiss him, kiss him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and noticing how attraction, physical attraction can grow for women. And, and that as we get to know a man's character, do you know, and perceive his strength then what initially wasn't a physical attraction will grow. But meanwhile, we'll have been setting boundaries because we naturally do that when we're not attracted. 
And um, and so we'll have to at least developed a habit of being true to ourselves and setting boundaries before that Adam Sandler effect turns us into what I call a mini ninny <laughs> instead of a full on ninny. And um, that's why I like people getting to know each other over the phone and um, on very little information and because uh, we don't have all that physical stuff having us contort mm. from the beginning. But, um, hi, hi, hi. Yes. <laughs> so Allison. But attraction causes primitive behavior and there's no consciousness or awareness. In it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that this is an incredible point, especially for folks who are younger. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's more applicable to folks who are maybe earlier in their world of dating and, and uh, intimacy than it is for people who are later in the game. Have you seen kind of that, uh, that <laughs> demographic shift? <laughs> I wish it were true. <laughs> I wish it were true. I have, I have women in our smart singles intensive in their late sixties who are looking for chemistry. Mm, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, I mean, chemistry literally is a surge of epinephrine and testosterone. So epinephrine is what makes the skin tingle and the heartbeat and the testosterone puts us all in hunting mode. So I got, I'm going to get her, I got to get her or I'm going to get him. Right. I'm going to get you, get you, get you. Right. Like it just, <laughs> uh, we, we hunt the the other person. And, um, and we're totally focused on that objective and we screen out anything irre irrelevant, including them saying, go away, go away. I'm not interested <laughs> in you. <laughs> it's one of the things I coach men and women in. If you want to be married, hunting mode is going to prevent that from happening. You've got to be open to options and alternatives and possibilities. You've got to set your timeline aside. <laughs> You've wow. got to be awake. That's yeah. really, really powerful. Um, I have so many things I want to ask you. I <laughs> want to actually move into this course, Understanding Men, and also Understanding Women, We've yeah. obviously touched on a lot of topics that, you know, probably fell under, under the, the course, but what are some of the major misconceptions that men have about women? Cause I think we've talked a little bit more about misconceptions women have about men. Mm. Um, well, first men have no idea how much women are organized around safety. And when they find out how much we're monitoring it. Um, they're heartbroken for us. I've, I've seen them cry because it's the last thing they'd ever want for us is to be afraid. And when they find out how to help us feel safe, they, they're beautiful about it. They're generous about it. I actually have to coach them to not be self-sacrificing about it. Um, another thing is that men don't understand the effects of, estrogen on our brains so they think they just need to get us to focus if they can just get us to pay attention to one thing or like um 
the first time I was interviewed by Dennis Prager in 2004, he thought the problem, the disconnect between men and women and sex was that you just got to get women to focus on it. And he learned from me that women don't focus. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was flabbergasted, right? And um, and that's a big part of understanding women is how do you support a woman in having enough sex when estrogen has caused her brain to have, you know, at least five, if not 10 or 20 things seem much more important than that in any moment. There's that pillow to straighten, those dishes to finish, that list to complete, or just let me recover from being exhausted from all the things that had me do what they wanted me to do all day. Um, so they don't under they don't understand a, a woman's consciousness, which I call diffuse awareness, and how much we have to corral it to focus, how we're much more built for what I call puttering or wandering around in the meadow, seeing what the options and alternatives are, and that that can be such a state of contentment for us. Just openness is such a state of peace, whereas women don't understand how focus is a state of peace for men. They're tortured when they don't have anything important enough to be worth doing. So it's uh, it's fascinating when men get what diffuse awareness does and especially they stop feeling hurt and disrespected because they think when a woman is doing something other than paying attention to him or listening to him, that she chose the other thing, that that it's a statement, the child's more important than you, the putting the groceries away is more important than you, my phone ringing or this text is more important than you, everything's more important than you. <laughs> that That's how they, that's how they interpret women's behavior. And, and it hurts them. And it also brings out the worst in them because they need our attention. They are fed by our attention. They are validated and appreciated and nurtured by our attention. And since we're aware of the mental and emotional, physical states of everything in our environment, the competition for our intention is huge. And they think we're scattered and that we like being scattered and we want to be scattered instead of, no, that's what estrogen does to a brain. It scatters it. But it's also the source of us being able to intuit so many things. It's a source of compassion and empathy and reaching out to care for somebody and being aware that they need something when they haven't said it. We can feel it or see it or um, sense their their mental or emotional state. So it's sort of an interesting thing to have men find out that everything they love about us is the source of everything that drives them crazy about us. Wow. And, and so, you know, if you want, if you want one, right, the source of our soft skin is the same as our distraction. <laughs> That's so funny. The concept of puttering too is something I am so well versed in. You know, I feel so deeply relaxed when I'm doing, you know, washing the dishes, having a conversation, doing like just fixing things. I'm like the ultimate putter. And uh, yeah, just putting a name to that is really helpful. And so what's like a, a way that um, a man can 
help a woman maybe feel more open <laughs> to, to focusing, especially in the bedroom? Mm. Honestly, there are five sessions of the Understanding Women course uh, <laughs> dedicated to female sexuality, how to support her in having enough sex, uh, what will ha have her not want to have sex at all and what to do about it. They're called hurt feelings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the short answer is is to realize that female sexuality is an addition and multiplication division problem. It's not just a single thing. Mm. Everything either adds up to um having great receptivity and enthusiasm and openness and communication about sex, or it adds up to, I have a headache. I have a headache. I have a headache. <laughs> um, so we're, I mean, men know we're complicated. Uh, the original understanding women course was called understanding women, unlock the mystery, not solve the mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the more men learn about women, the more mysterious we are. Like, how do you, um, like when they find out how much we're monitoring our safety, they also find out that we are incredibly brave, incredibly mm -hmm. courageous. Uh, they're just in awe of our, our courage that we stare down fear uh, all day long. And, and they're so moved by that. And, uh, and that we, like when Greg first came to the Understanding Women course later, he said, he said, how do you get out the door? <laughs> like without much input. And it finally made sense to him how, why it was so hard to get me out the door. And, you know, men are mystified by why does a woman have to wash the dishes before she leaves on a trip. <laughs> Why does she make that the is... bed? Nobody's going to be here while we're gone. Why does she have to make the bed? Why does she have to put all that stuff away before we go away? Don't you just have to get the stuff in the car, the humans in the car and lock the door? <laughs> right? And then they learn why. But that stuff will talk to us even a thousand miles away. We'll think about, you know, what's happening to the dirty dishes and how <laughs> gross it's going to be. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and we also teach them about how, you know, women have testosterometers, right? We, we, we can smell testosterone. And, and if the levels are too high, we'll feel unsafe. If the levels are too low, we'll feel unsafe. And about eight hours after he leaves home, the levels are too low and we feel unsafe. But first, we're really glad he's leaving home because then we don't have to pay attention to him because if he's cranky, then we're unsafe. But but then when he's gone for a while, then we turn into our own protector. And if he doesn't give us a warning, your protector's back in the vicinity. You can stand down now, honey. Um, if he doesn't give us that warning, he just shows up. He'll meet a warrior. Like, <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> like, like my dog in the excavator. What the heck are you doing here? So oh, it goes on and on and on. Yes, just on and on and on. And this ordinary life is a, is a minefield and a minefield, both um, for men and women. It's so fascinating, all those points that you make. And I can definitely relate um, to many of them. So 
I won't go into my own personal story. I actually have a couple more questions and then um, we'll have to wrap up. What sort of things have surprised you the most? (laughs) (laughs) Is that, does that require an hour? (laughs) In the last 30 years, you want to know what surprised me the most? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Uh, Allison. Women are like unicorns in the forest. <laughs> if there's anything we can do for you, we're honored to do it. Allison, you cannot overestimate the effect on a man on having to perform in bed. You can't overestimate that. You can't underestimate that. It's huge. <laughs> Allison. <laughs> Commit to yourself before you commit to any man. Mm. Allison, I don't believe in compromise. I want my wife and I to duke it out until we find a better solution. (laughs) Allison, the most attractive quality in a woman? Ah, a strong woman who's voluntarily vulnerable. (laughs) Oh my goodness. These are so good. You have like a quote, a quote book. <laughs> Allison, Allison, um, nothing, doing nothing. Oh man, doing nothing is so worth doing. Men even get together to do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I could go on and on and on and on and on. So how do you feel supported? Well, I I feel appreciated when my wife does this. Okay, well, how do you feel appreciated? Well, I feel supported when my wife does this. Uh, (laughs) So those are really interesting. Uh, Let's see, what's the effect of complaining on you? Well, if it's from my family, then there's a t- there's an attack on the inside of the castle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting! I like that. <laughs> oh yeah, attack on the inside. Of the I castle. mean, that's why I never committed to studying men past the the initial venture. I thought it'd take two or three months to learn everything worth knowing about them. I'm I'm never committed to it. I've just been fascinated by you know thirty years of. Allison. <laughs> wow. It's so fascinating. I don't know anyone that uh, talks about this space the way you do and in such an accessible way. So I'm so grateful to your work. It's helped so many people. I've recommended so much of your books and courses online to many folks in my community. And we will also leave the links to everything in the show notes. And are there any resources, Allison, that you can point folks to um, in order to learn more about you and your work? I would say go to alisonarmstrong.com. Um, there's a bunch of free stuff there, including the free sample from Understanding Women and um, and then and then YouTube as another place. Audible has my work um, up until 2012. They don't have anything I've done in the last eight years. Um, but what's there is still worth listening to. Yes, definitely. I've I've actually listened to a number of your Audible uh, books. So 
they were game changing. So I can't recommend this work enough for those of you who are new to Alison Armstrong. We will again leave uh, links to all of her courses and books in the show notes and check her out. She's got a lot of really great material out there. Alison, thank you so much for your time. I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours, which I'm sure many people feel the same way. <laughs> um, <laughs> this went so fast and I'm just so grateful for your time and your wisdom. Thank you so much. You're really welcome. Thanks for what you're doing in the world. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about how to understand men and women with relationship expert, Alison Armstrong. You can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Thanks again.